Welcome to SimonCast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. I'm John Shaw, the director of the Institute. In SimonCast, we aim to keep the legacy of Paul Simon alive and well through wide-ranging civil conversations. And we're really delighted today to be joined by Illinois State Senator Jason Barrickman. The senator has a really interesting background. He's from Bloomington, Illinois. Um, actually grew up in a farm in Livingston County, Illinois. Um, went to Illinois State University. Uh, was the president of the student body there. Went on to University of Illinois Law School. Served as a county chairman in Champaign County. Uh, had some business experience. Served in the Illinois House. Um, and then was elected to the Illinois Senate in 2012 um, and is involved in a lot of important is issues involving education, redistricting. Uh, he's a leader in the Senate. He's the caucus leader and also the Senate Republican floor leader and joins us today from his office in Bloomington, Illinois. So, Senator, good morning. Morning, John. Thanks for thanks for having me. Great. Well, Senator, in your Twitter introduction, your bio, I want to read a couple words and then have you kind of unpack them. You say, dad, husband, farm roots, business background, avid Bears fan, adjunct faculty member at ISU, Illinois State Senator from Bloomington. Let's begin with the farm roots. Tell us a little bit about growing up on a farm in Livingston County. Were you one of these farm kids who was driving a big tractor at the age of eight or nine? Or what was that like? I'm, I'm sure we did plenty of illegal illegal things uh, back in the day, including uh, yes, driving, you know, hauling in is a big experience in, at harvest on a at a farm family. Uh, but there's activities throughout the year. So uh, our family is uh, my my dad and brother continue to farm today. My brother is the sixth generation of Barrickman who's farmed some of the same dirt since uh, our family came to Northwest Livingston County back in the 1830s. So a long tradition tradition and history there. I, I, I think some of the foundational elements that uh, are a part of my life, my brother's life, and what I hope to instill in my children's life, you know, things like applying common sense, you know, working hard, leaving things better than you found them, those are all principles that uh, my my parents taught me, and that I I think I've experienced as growing up on a on a farm and in a farm family. Well, my dad was a, grew up on a farm in Iowa, and he he often said that working on the farm was both the hardest job he ever had, and in some ways the most rewarding. Does that resonate to you? I totally agree. I mean, it, it's hard work, right? I mean, it's uh, it's laborious. And uh, it's dangerous. Uh, you know, too many farm accidents occur throughout uh, every year, still today. Um, but it's very rewarding. It's it's a great opportunity, especially for a for a child to be able to see something from start to finish, right? And so it, the notion that you have to nurture the land and you have to take care of it and you have to plant your seed and put your inputs on and fertilizer and and make sure that your your crop comes up the best that it can. Uh, you need you need the uh, good mother nature to provide sun and rain, and uh, you need a dry harvest where you can pick the crops and take them to the grain bins or the the elevator and uh, and, and eventually sell them right. And uh, it's a whole process that you see every year. What's amazing to me about it is that farm families uh, are all about their community. You know you know you may not have a lot of neighbors. But you call the people who live within miles of you your neighbors, and they're your friends. Everyone helps each other out. Harvest is absolutely my favorite time of year. I mean, it's 
it's beautiful weather in Illinois, you know, in the September and October months. Those are just great months to live in Illinois. The colors that exist, uh, we, you know, we, we talk about the great prairie land. We talk about uh, our, some of our forests. We have all of that around our farm. But ultimately, it's, it's the experience of seeing families work together to, to harvest, to bring out crops, to make sure everyone's fed. You got to have gasoline in the combine, gasoline in the tractor to haul in and gasoline in the body to keep going in those long days. So it's a, for our family, it was an all hands on deck, still is. And um, it, it's a great, great process. And I love, I love to see our kids and other kids experience that. Great. Well, so you went to ISU, studied political science, and then I think worked in business for a little bit and then went to U of I Law School. As I mentioned earlier at ISU, you were a president of the student council. At that point, were you thinking about a career in politics? Tell, tell us about that. Uh, I don't know if I was thinking about a career in it so much. I definitely, when I landed at ISU, um, I, I found the study of politics maybe not even described that way. I, I found the way in which government makes decisions to be uh, interesting. And that, and that was a first, you know, that was a uh, first impression that I had coming to ISU, that this is, a, this is something that's interesting to me. And so I, uh, you know, you mentioned this, the student body president, but I, I dabbled in politics, I guess, in, in college. I started helping people on some political campaigns um, but in my mind, I really thought about business and, and you know, I wanted to um, graduate and begin to develop a profession. I, I actually interned one summer in Washington, D.C., kind of a, a political intern, opening mail for uh, one of our local congressmen, a guy named Tom Ewing, who's really a, a friend and a mentor of mine. And my experience in Washington was tremendous. I mean, I, I was I, I loved to see you know, the, the government and the, the people and how it all worked out there. But my conclusion was that I didn't want to work on staff. I wanted to go develop my life and career and profession. And so that's what I did uh, w once I graduated ISU. Well, tell us about being a county chairman. I know you were Champaign County chairman at a, quite a young age. Um, tell us about what a, a, a county chairman does. You know, uh, every... Uh, county around the state has a political organization. And, you know, if we, we hear things like grassroots organizing, and uh, I, I will talk about, I, you know, teaching at ISU, I, I often tell uh, my students that all politics is local, right? I think I stole that from someone uh, over, over the years. Um, as a county chairman, you're really the grassroots of the political party organization. So I'm a Republican. And uh, my job in Champaign County was to organize local Republicans, recruiting people like precinct committeemen, recruiting candidates who might run for whether it be county uh, board, county wide, state legislature, Congress. Sometimes I got involved in fundraising, uh, all at a local level, helping to support uh, Republicans from the area as well as those who came through. I remember, you know, we'd have candidates running for governor of the United States Senate, and they would often interact with me and my role as county chairman because they wanted to tap into our organization. And I served in that role for six years. It, it was a really uh, good experience for me to kind of roll up my sleeves and understand how 
local politics works and grassroots organizing works. And then I, you know, try to use those skills as I've advanced kind of in, uh, in political life. So you serve in the House for one term and talk about that. What was it like to to to, to go to Springfield and uh, represent your community in, in the Illinois House? You know, it's it's a it still is today. A, a, it's a fascinating experience, right? The notion that you can uh, come from a district which largely includes, for me, people I grew up with. My large, you know, I've got a large uh, kind of extended family. Those are those farm roots, and then people you work with, the community you live in. Uh, fascinating. Mike Madigan was Speaker of the House, and uh, people asked me when I when I was first sworn into office, "What are you going to do about Madigan?" And I said, "Well, I'm from Streeter. I grew up on a farm. Now, what that means to people in Central Illinois might be that you know you you know how to uh, throw some elbows, bump and bruise a little bit." And I said, "I'll be just fine down there." And uh, I, I went, uh, you kind of learn your way around in the, uh, that first year. Another uh, really a, a very good friend and mentor of mine uh, is, is Jim Edgar, our, our former governor. He counseled me in those, he still does, uh, but he counseled me in those, you know, in that first term. And he said, hey, go down there, you know, kind of keep your head down, figure out what's going on and how it's done and really dig into an issue. He said, that if you wanna be an effective legislator, you need to dig in and become a, an expert in something. So look for that opportunity. And uh, don't think you need to comment on every issue of the day, but really learn something so that you can be valuable to your caucus. Uh, you can be a valuable member. The media will start to look to you. And, and that's kind of how I approach that, you know, that first term. Well, you mentioned Governor Edgar, and uh, the, actually the Institute is working with Governor Edgar on a leadership award called the Simon Edgar Award. And we presented, uh, we've just started it last year, we're going to ha have it again this year, and we're going to present it at the Edgar Fellows. And I know you were in the inaugural class in 2012, and I know my just in, in talking to Governor Edgar and looking at just the roster of people who've served as Governor uh, Edgar Fellows, it's quite an impressive list of people in Illinois politics and government. Talk a little bit about that program and how it how it shaped you and maybe continues to influence you. Uh, I think that's an awesome program for our state. And it's one that's um, just, it's much needed. You know, um, the, the Governor Edgar put this together and, and I think his vision was, let's find some of the future leaders of this state and provide a forum where they can get to know each other before they're in some of the highest offices so that when that does occur, there are people who can work together. And, you know, I, I tell everyone, I'm, I'm from Central Illinois, right? But I think the people in Central Illinois want me to respect the fact that we're a large state. We have, we're very geographically diverse from a population. We're very diverse. We have urban centers and rural. And for me to be an effective lawmaker, I really need to understand those dynamics. So the Edgar Fellows program put a bunch of us, we, I was in the first class, put a bunch of us in a room. We developed some great relationships and it's been fun to watch some of my peers in that class grow. One of them, a, a good friend of mine, Christian Mitchell, uh, became a, he was a, Demo, a, a young democratic lawmaker from the city of Chicago. Uh, we spent some time in each other's districts 
boy, you want to pick a difference, south side of Chicago versus, you know, farm area in central Illinois, right? Two wildly different uh, districts. We spent some time together. It, Christian today uh, is now, you know, deputy governor to uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker. You know, he's got the ear of the governor and, and he remains a good friend. We don't always agree on stuff, uh, but he's someone I can easily pick up the phone and talk through issues with, look for help from the governor's office, from him. All of that relationship came about of, from the Edgar Fellows. And it's been great to, to watch all the other relationships that are formed through that forum. Well, I was talking to some uh, political analyst about you, and he described you as a thoughtful conservative with a libertarian streak. Is that fair, do you think? I think that's fair. I, I Look, I think there's groups of Republicans who believe that there should be a limited role of the government. And I strongly believe in that. And I think my vote, I put my vote where my mouth is. Great. Well, let's talk for... Um, Talk about just the progress you've made in the General Assembly. You were elected in 2012, so you've been in Springfield for about a decade, a little bit less. And a couple issues that you've been really active in, in particular, one is education funding. And I know you played an important role in, I think it was 2017 legislation that, that used this evidence-based model to alter the school funding formula. Talk about that for a little bit. Fascinating experience. Remember, Governor Edgar told me, keep your head down, look for an area to be helpful, and roll up your sleeves. So as a young member, well before 2017, Christine Rodonio, the Senate Republican minority leader, uh, asked, is there anyone willing to uh, really dig in on how school funding policy works? There was a debate going around, right? Uh, does where you live matter to the amount of funding that your public school gets? And, and it did. And so there was this debate going on. And I said, well, I'll study the issue and try to help. Well, that spiraled into about a five-year process that culminated under the Rauner administration when we passed the evidence-based funding model into law. That's a, I, I don't even remember, maybe a thousand page piece of legislation. It took us years to put all the pieces together, a huge collaboration among lots of stakeholders, uh, legislators from all pockets of the state, both political parties, it started when uh, Pat Quinn was governor. It was in, enacted when uh, Governor uh, when Bruce Rauner was governor. It was a, tr a huge lift, and uh, I I was privileged to be the uh, initial sponsor of that legislation. Um, I you know was the Republican uh, negotiator on that, and it was just an it was an awesome experience for a for a lawmaker. But the effect of it is is what's most incredible. Uh, today, uh, you know, government's always imperfect, but we took a huge step forward in changing the way that our public school system is funded so that it's less reliant on where you live and more reliant on getting the limited resources from the state in those districts that need them the most. I like to think, you know, we, we pay a lot of attention to inner city Chicago schools because there's a lot of need there. There's also a lot of need downstate. Some of our rural schools, like my school, I went to uh, Woodland School, small rural district. I had maybe 40 kids in my graduating high school class. We were very limited on the resources we had available. This school funding formula is gonna help schools, whether in the city of Chicago, downstate rural communities, 
And it's, it's a good piece of work that is the result of years of people's lives, including mine, and a lot of input. That's how you get things done in the legislature. And uh, it, it was great to be, uh, you know, to have a, have a role in that process. Well, another issue that is associated with you is redistricting reform, the so-called fair map initiative. And, um, you know, it seems that, I mean, if you look at the, the, the redistricting that's occurred across the country, um, you know, it's kind of a bipartisan thing that whoever has the power writes maps that, you know, enhance their power. You know, in Illinois, I think the Democrats have been sharply accused of writing a map that's very, very favorable to them. Places like Texas and Florida, the same accusation is leveled at Republicans. What, um, what is your sense of, of where this fair districting, fair map issue is? I mean, I, everyone, of course, on a poll says that they are for it conceptually, but why don't we ever get closer to making it uh, come into reality? Well, uh, around the country, this is a bipartisan problem, right? Both parties uh, abuse this uh, process. In Illinois, uh, Democrats have the majority. I, I, I think we lost an opportunity in Illinois to get redistricting right. Power, you know, there's the old saying that, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts. And there is no more significant political decision that's done. It's done once every 10 years. Nothing more significant than this redistricting. The way in which the districts are drawn are going to uh, directly impact the choices voters are given at the ballot box. Political leaders know that if they limit the choices and if they gerrymander districts, they can stack the deck so that they can maintain a grip on power. Uh, to me, it's it's just a it's a it's a totally absurd system. It fails to serve at all the public who is of course, the beneficiary of whatever comes of it. And uh, it, it was really just a, a too bad that Illinois couldn't get this right. For all the political leaders you know, on, on one side of the aisle who said that they were for a, uh, an independent process, when it came time to put their you know, vote where their uh, mouth was, uh, they just were unwilling to step up to the plate. You know, John, I've, I've taken some uh, votes that over the years aren't always in line with the, you know, the, the Republican Party platform. I think we need more people willing to do that. Uh, it's, it's not always the easiest thing. You know, your, your party uh, people or your friends, they help you tremendously. But I, I think there's a huge appetite out there, even within political activists, for those who are willing to demonstrate some independence, study an issue, and conclude, hey, this is where I'm going to fall, not because it's the politically expedient thing to do, but because it's the right thing to do. I, I just, I wish we could have some more of that in today's political dynamic. Well, I think one example, if I understand it, you're the only Republican to vote for legislation some years ago to, uh, to, to support same-sex marriage. Is that right? Is that an example? Yeah, that's right. I, you know, back in the, when we took that vote, I, I, I said very publicly, I said, it's the right thing to do. I, I said that I, I think the, the public uh, doesn't want the government involved in all of their decisions. People want the right to make their own life choices. They want the freedom uh, that we believe we have under the Constitution. And so I, I took a vote consistent with those beliefs. I point out to my Republicans these, these principles, right, a limited government and that we, we should have personal responsibility for our own choices. 
these are core Republican principles that make me a Republican. And so I never felt that voting for marriage equality was in any way limiting my ability to say I'm a I'm a vocal Republican. I stand for things that make me a Republican, those things like limited government. Um, and it's it's what makes me a Republican. Well, what do you I remember I started I'm a maybe a generation older in view. And when I started out as like an intern in the governor's office many years ago, Republicans were a very formidable party in Illinois. In fact, they had almost a quarter century lock on the governor's mansion, had periods where they were the majority in the General Assembly. What do you think happened? Why have the Republicans um, lost um, their kind of competitive edge in terms of uh, state politics? Well, I, I think statewide elections are won and lost in the suburbs. And, and that's a principle that, um, you know, I, I think it is, is, has existed for many years. Uh, when, when Jim Edgar was governor, I think he uh, noticed the same thing. In the suburbs, I, I think there's uh, some different issues that motivate voters than they do downstate. There's an opportunity for Republicans to align those issues when we focus on things like crime, safe streets, uh, high quality schools, uh, a market driven economy, the fact that we need to have less corruption in government. Um, all these types of issues, I think, are winning issues for Republicans that play well both downstate and in the suburbs. I think the more as Republicans we can focus on those types of issues, uh, we're going to compete well for soccer moms and other suburban voters who aren't as wedded to the political parties and are more in tune to, you know, is government going to assure me that I can live in a community where my property taxes aren't forcing me to get a second mortgage, where the streets are safe and my kids can play in them, or at least in the neighborhoods, um, where my kids can go to a high quality public school system and can um, see success in their young educational life so that they're positioned to go compete in a world-class economy, right? These are things that I think drive voters and they're the issues that Republicans can win on if we focus on them. Well, last year uh, we had an event with Senator Danforth, former Republican Senator from Missouri. And uh, a couple of weeks after our event, I saw him on the PBS NewsHour and he, he, he made this comment about the Republican party. I wonder if you'd just reflect on it. He said, the Republican party today is not, diff it's not just different from what it has been it is the opposite in many, many ways of what it has been. America needs a strong, responsible, conservative party. That has been the Republican Party. It is neither strong nor responsible nor conservative today. We are going in the wrong direction. What, what, do, you, what do you hear in, in those words? I mean, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I, I acknowledge, right, there's some division that exists within the, within the party. And again, I'm, I'm very... Um, attuned to and focused on the, the issues of our state. And so while maybe some of the, the national wins on Republican policies have moved back, I mean, look, the, the difference between George W. Bush and Donald Trump is very significant, right? But my focus is on state government. And at that level, I think there is uh, tremendous uh, opportunities and unitedness among Republicans on the principles that we agree to. Now, 
how those play out, you know, use use marriage equality as an example. Plenty of Republicans disagreed with me on my vote on marriage equality, but I said it was rooted in core principles that make us Republicans. Again, freedom, right? Limited role of government, personal choices people make. Um, that I think that's a healthy dialogue for Republicans to have. I think it's interesting when I meet with young people who identify as maybe more conservative than liberal, whether they identify Republican or Democrat, and I tell them, here's who I am, here's what I stand for, this is my view of what a Republican is, I get widespread support from those younger voters and future voters. Um, I don't always get that. Um, maybe when I'm, you know, in another uh, crowd, I, I, you know, but that's a healthy dialogue and debate that's existing within Republicans. And I think at the end of the day, we'll come home to the notion that we're, we're for a limited government. We're for a limited role the government would play in our lives. And that'll play out over a whole host of issues that face us uh, as Illinoisans, but just as Americans as well. Republicans will be well suited if they adhere to those principles uh, to win the votes of voters. Well, let's talk about the spring session that just concluded a week or two ago, a couple of weeks ago. And I want to read the first couple of sentences of the summary by the Chicago Tribune and have you deconstruct and maybe respond to it. But this is how the Tribune began its, its analysis of this session. It said, Republican state lawmakers outnumbered and looking to boost their relevance had one goal for the election year legislative session to paint majority Democrats as soft on crime and anti-police. Democrats, sensing political vulnerability, knew they had to counter by passing some pro-police, anti-crime legislation that didn't weaken their larger equity-based criminal justice goals. They also had to change the subject, pushing election year, tax relief for families, and public concerns over inflation. Crime and inflation became the watchwords as the final hours of the truncated spring legislative session played out early Saturday. How do, how do you look back on the session that just passed? What do you think was most consequential? What should the citizens of Illinois draw from what has just happened in Springfield? Well, first of all, I think that, I think you said that was the Tribune. I think that's a, uh, they characterized it very well. And I, I say that and I hope they're watching and that they'll write good things uh, in the future as well. Um, look, I, I think the, the issues of this most recent session were crime and the economy, right? Finances, you mentioned inflation in that article, but all of that stuff unpacked. I think Democrats uh, across the country are in, they're gonna have a bad year, right? It's gonna be significantly bad. I don't, I don't know how bad, but it's gonna be bad for Democrats. Some of that's just the, the, the way things are occurring in Washington. You've got a new president, new party, you know, uh, traditionally, in that first midterm, there's a reaction from the public. I think that's going to play out across the country, including in Illinois. In Illinois, uh, a year, year and a half ago, um, the Democrats passed that wildly controversial legislation. Uh, they call it the Safety Act, but it's you know it, it really shifted the balance that exists between the people who are committing or accused of committing crimes and the people in law enforcement who are enforcing them, right? It shift that balance. I thought it was a very extreme reach by the Democrats. They, you could tell it by the roll call vote. There were lots of Democrats who 
you know, would tell people privately they didn't want to go there, but they did. And so now today, we've seen a significant increase in crime. Um, I think Democrats are significantly, they're well on their heels on this issue. And so they were trying to repair some of the political damage that they've done to themselves and their candidates. And I, I think they fell far short. I mean, I, I, I think voters are really in tune to the shift that's occurred on, uh, on crime. And they're gonna, they're, there's going to be Democrats who are punished at the ballot box as a result. I, I also think on our finances, you know, everyone knows Illinois has been plagued with financial challenges for forever, right? And those challenges still exist. Now, two years ago, Governor or so Governor Pritzker said, hey, you know, we need three and a half billion dollars in new revenue to balance the books. Post-COVID, Illinois received billions of dollars from the federal government, and we're, we've got a new day suddenly. As Republicans, we thought that those dollars should have been used to address some of the systemic problems that existed. To the extent there's tax relief given to taxpayers, it should have been done on a permanent basis. Um, I think this year's budget reflects much more of an, it's an election year budget. It's designed to attract the attention of voters while they're paying attention before the November election. Then all the goodies that were there magically disappear as soon as the election's over. And the problem is, John, it's not just all politics. I think next year and the year that follows, Illinoisans are going to be facing the same financial challenges that exist two years ago. We'll just have missed the opportunity to really do something about it, given all those federal dollars. It's a missed opportunity, and it's one that we're going to pay for in the future. Well, I was reading an article by Rich Miller uh, this last week about the budget, and uh, he, I mean, he, he said it was an election year budget to be sure, but he said he, he also thought it, it was relatively solid. And he, he wrote, the Senate Republican budget proposal did not once mention the pension funds, state debt, or the rainy day fund. Instead, they proposed using likely one-time revenue spikes to fund permanent tax cuts, which could create fiscal disaster when the economy eventually falters. They could play that game because they knew the proposal had no chance of passing, all the while claiming that the other side is engaging in politics. How, how would you respond to that? Well, look, I think government, the public is best served when there's two political parties who are competing for votes and forced to engage with one another, making policy choices that aren't perfect for either side, but are more in line with the interests of the public. It just didn't happen this year. You know, from day one, Governor Pritzker, you know, he gave his budget address. He basically said, Republicans, you're not going to be at the table. They rammed through a, a, their budget on a partisan basis. And so it's I, I think it's unfair to criticize Republicans who aren't invited to participate in the actual proposed budget and then say, well, we're just acting to politics again. The balance comes from elections, right? And so I, I put the onus back on Republicans that we need to go win elections. We wanna, we wanna sit at the table. Uh, we've got an opportunity to elect a governor. We've got an opportunity to win uh, a huge number of legislative seats around the state this year. Uh, if we want a seat at the governing table, ultimately we've gotta win the votes of, uh, we gotta win the votes of voters. And that's what we are setting about to do this year. And I think we're going to do a really good job of it.
Well, every center, every state rep and state center we've spoken to in this series has made this, almost the same point, which is, you know, there are two Springfields. One, there is the kind of high stakes battles over budget and taxes, which is very partisan, very acrimonious. And then there's another Springfield in which there's a lot more cooperation on, you know, maybe less glamorous, less visible issues, but whether it's, you know, mental health, the farm, the problems of farm communities, et cetera. Talk about that. I mean, below the below this high stakes battle, are, is there more cooperation going on than people might be led to believe? There is, and I will I will say though, um, we live in a very difficult political time. I, I think the um, apologies for the, the the sirens just are going by, but we live in a difficult political time. I I think the angst that exists uh it exists around the country and that infects state government even ours so i i take you know part of my day uh you know when when we're in session i try to uh collaborate with my democratic colleagues i've got some good friends on the other side of the aisle and the the, re the result is that on the issues that aren't on the front page of the newspaper uh there's always opportunities to work together and any good lawmaker is going to seek that, uh, not only for a Republican, because I need their votes to help move my uh, issues forward, but even for Democrats. I, I think uh, no political party or lawmaker has a monopoly on good ideas or perspective. And so if someone's got an idea, I my, my uh, belief is that that idea can be better if there are, you know, two sides or more sides involved in it, thinking it through, thinking about the effect of it in their district. And the, the result is better public policy that's more in tune to, again, what we talked about earlier. We have a large state geographically, our population is very diverse. If we want public policies that represent the, those people in those diverse areas and populations, uh, the way to do it is by collaborating together across the aisle. And uh, I see lots of chances to do that every single year. Senator, we've had some great questions emailed in from across the state. And we have, <coughs> pardon me, Matt from Mattoon says, what can the state of Illinois to incentivize consolidation of local units of government? We hear so much about how large and how many levels of government there are in Illinois. What can be done? You know, this is a, an issue that has challenged us greatly, right? And the, there's been task forces and various things proposed. Uh, part of the state's history is the existence of all these units of government. So uh, I, I believe that working at a local, but where you've seen success in the state, and it's been limited, admittedly, but where we've seen success in consolidating local units is where people locally identify the duplicative nature of multiple districts. They see the overlapping services that may be offered. They see an opportunity for a more efficient operation, maybe a less costly operation. And they uh, identify that and work with their local legislator to advance something that starts to remove some of those multiple levels. There we've seen success. When we try to uh, merge and unify local districts from the top down, what we see is it creates a, a mess because it, there's a lot of unintended consequences that erupt. 
and it becomes very messy and controversial and usually doesn't get the job done. Interesting. Monica from Chicago writes, there's a huge range of topics raised every session in the General Assembly. Um, um, no one should be have an expertise in all of them. How do legislators go about edu educating themselves about very complex issues? Who do they turn to for impartial information? How do they assess when the information they're receiving is biased, especially from li lobbyists who have an inherent bias? Talk about just how you, I know you have staff and everything, but how does, how does the lawmaker, you talk about education reform. I mean, how do you educate yourself on some of these really complicated issues? So let's use the education one as an, as an example. First of all, we studied what other, country, uh, other uh, states do. We don't always do that, but on that issue we did. And we said, what are the best practices that we're seeing around the country? Uh, for any issue, there is usually a group of stakeholders. They may or may not be represented by lobbyists, but those stakeholders, biased as they may be, definitely provide some subject matter expertise that's very valuable. The best lobbyists, they'll tell you which direction they're coming at, and they'll even know you. They'll know your philosophy. Maybe they'll know your district, and they'll be able to say, look, for you and your district, this is the way this, this issue, I see it playing out. Some lobbyists are really good at that. And the result is you begin to trust them more knowing that they're gonna be a straight shooter with you. I think um, constituents have no idea the influence they have on us. Uh, maybe this is especially at the state level, but constituents have tremendous influence. Lots of my constituents, you know, you see them, you see them in your district, you see them at coffee shops, they talk to you. Uh, I talk to my constituents on email and the phone throughout. When people say, hey, I want to talk to, to Barrickman about uh, an issue, uh, they're going to generally talk to me. And that insight is tremendous because I, I openly agree. I don't, I don't know everything about anything, but there's lots of people out there who do. And I try to be a sponge. I definitely study issues incredibly. We get tons of paperwork, papers maybe some of it in email, but it's, you get a lot of stuff and information. I read trem tremendous amounts of that to just try to digest all of it and then use that as I'm making my decisions on, you know, any issue of the day. For citizens who want to understand more about what's happening in Springfield, I mean, what would you, how would, what would you suggest they do to be, you know, better, um, to have a better sense of what's happening? Well, I like to bring humor to everything. So my tongue in cheek response to that is watch House of Cards. <laughs> now, let's just dismiss that one, right? Um, Springfield is, it's a far drive for some, but it's accessible to all. Uh, there's nothing better than coming and seeing the process play out firsthand. Uh, we have a beautiful capital. I think we see a lot, I, I encourage students and classes to come. Uh, you know, you can show up in Springfield and see lobbyists in action. You can see lawmakers roam in the halls and grab them and bend their ear. You might see the governor, right? Nothing beats seeing the process play out live, go into the uh, gallery and watch the debates occur. Um, I, I, I think most people would, you know, they, they may not like all of it, but they would certainly find uh, the process to be very interesting. Is there any particular news source that you would uh, point them to? I mean, obviously, they're looking at the Tribune or, or other papers online, but what would be, 
I mean, if you if you had a constituent who said, Senator, I just want to follow what you're doing more closely, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I encourage that we've got I've got social media. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And so, you know, there's an opportunity. I'm biased, though, John. Right. And so they're going to see my biased views. Um, I, I think one of the great challenges facing our state government is the lack of media uh, resources that are available and paying attention to what we do. That might be good for politicians, but it's really bad for the public. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's a whole lot more. I look forward to seeing how the media evolves on this uh, because the public's really, I, I think, unfortunately left in the dark. Well, where do you think Illinois is right now? I mean, it went through, you know, a some tumultuous times. Um, you know, there was a 2017 budget agreement that seemed to solidify state finances. Um, you know, obviously it's been distorted a little bit by the, you know, massive amounts of federal COVID money, but particularly on the fiscal situation, where where is Illinois? Are we in considerably solid, uh, better footing than we were a few years ago, or is it just marginally better? Well, I, you know, again, I, I got three kids. So an analogy would be we had a gashing, you know, gaping wound on our leg that was hemorrhaging. And I think it's been bandaged well, but it's not healing. And so the, the issues that we haven't even touched on, uh, the, the public pension system and the financial impact of that on our state's finances, it's not even being discussed in the, in the political arena. It's just sitting out there on the back burner. We've gone through all of the uh, tax increase, We've gone through COVID and seen billions of dollars come in, but there's really been, if anything, under Governor Pritzker, uh, there's been advances, new laws that actually aggravate that problem, enhance some benefits in the pension system. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about that. I, I think that that's a, a problem that's been created over a generation. I'm worried that it's going to take a generation to fix it. And the meanwhile, and there's other issues, look, facing the state, I, I get concerned about these financial ones, but here's overwhelmingly what all of these issues result in. It results in less middle-class families believing that Illinois is the destination for their family, where their family can achieve success. We see that evidenced in the people who leave the state uh, we're just, we're not growing our population in the way that we need. And so the voters are, they're voting with their feet, but they're expressing extreme skepticism that the people in charge can actually fix those core issues so that Illinois, you know, continues to grow and prosper and attract employers and put, you know, the, the, the worst case for someone like me, my kids are, 11, nine, and five, when they grow up, they go to college and they enter their careers, I want them to work in Illinois. But what we see is young kids, young children who are, they're choosing to go to college out of state because maybe there's a, that's a financial decision. And once we lose them, it's almost like a customer. Once you lose them, you got to try twice as hard to get them back. I would rather we address the reason why people are leaving fix some of those or at least address some of those core issues and start to see the public demonstrate through their actions that they see Illinois as a as a home for their future.
Well, tell us how you organize your professional life. I know you're obviously a full-time, uh, you're working hard in the state Senate. Uh, you're in the leadership. Um, you also have, I think, an affiliation with a, a law firm as well as a, a real estate firm. I mean, how do all these pieces hold together? Yeah, there's a lot of juggling throughout any day. I, I, when I first ran for office, I told people, I said, look, I don't plan to be a full-time politician. I said, I, I, I have developed a profession and I plan to continue it. It's one that I like. I work in the real estate industry, I'm actually a partner of a real estate firm. And uh, we've seen a lot of uh, success through that. What that does for me in politics is creates an independence that I uh, heavily rely on. When I take a vote, I don't worry about the next election. My vote is based on what's in front of me. If I lose my next election because of a vote, I'll just go work more at my and my, you know, at my profession. It it removes from me the tendency that you might be beholden to the system and that you might cast your vote solely based on whether it's going to get you reelected. In my day, I've got staff that help support me and keep me on track, although we looks like we, you know, uh, bobbled the ball a little bit on the front end of our interview, but we got it sorted out. But my staff tend to keep my head on straight with technology. You know, you're, we're all accessible wherever we're at. And uh, look, my nature is I like to be busy. I, uh, I'm not one that's going to sit around. And so um, that's how I keep my days. And then I carve out lots of time for my kids. I mean, my my family, as busy as I uh, keep myself, everybody who knows me knows my family is my top priority. So sometimes I'm not at the local chicken dinner, shaking hands and eating the, the chicken that I love uh, because I carve out lots of times to be with my, with my family and, and with my kids. They're young enough that they still like seeing me. And I'm told by all my friends with older kids that at some point that flips. And so I want to spend lots of time with my kids while they still want to spend time with me. Well, how do you like to relax? I know you said you're a Bears fan, which is not always relaxing. So what uh, I, I suspect you also have strong uh, ties to ISU. Tell us how you like to unwind. Yeah, I, I'm, it's the farm you know, roots in me. I love that. I'm a super outdoor enthusiast. I love to fish. I loved it. We were big. Our family's big in national parks. We love to hike and bike and spend time outdoors. So if uh, if I've got a, a free day and I, sometimes I schedule a free day, uh, you won't find me. But I can tell you that it's I'm probably hidden up on my farm. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe we're doing some work. Maybe I'm just enjoying fishing or the outdoors or four wheeling. But uh, I get recharged from spending time outside and just getting away from all the technology, the pressures of work and politics, and just being with Mother Nature. It's totally recharging for me. Well, I see some books behind you. Are you do you like political history or biography or what kind of reading do you like to do? Yeah, so. Um, my reading has, you know, it's it's morphed over years. My my wife and kids are huge readers. I mean, I, there's no way I can keep up. Um, and I read in cycles. That's something like when we're in session, I don't read much because I think I'm reading all the the business, the stuff of the day. So I read less in books. But when we're not, uh, these days I tend to read uh, your criminal thriller types. 
I went through a period where I, where I was reading a lot of political and legal thrillers, and uh, maybe it, it warped my mind in a bad way. So now I've got criminal thrillers. Uh, they're usually suggestions from my wife. She's got a pretty good beat on what I like, and she'll say, hey, you know, here's one that I found. Check it out. Great. And what about the bears? Look, being a fan, I'm, I'm generally a fan of all sports, Chicago and Illinois. Um, that is very frustrating. I, I used to say I'm an Illinois Republican and a Cubs fan, which means I'm used to losing. Well, that, of course, changed because the Cubs won the World Series. An awesome experience. Ben Zobris, by the way, the World Series MVP, comes from Eureka, Illinois, where I represent, you know, so uh, there's some awesome things there. But look, uh, all of our Chicago sports teams, uh, th they give us a lot of heartburn. And of course, the looming decision with the Bears is where they're going to be and when that decision is going to be made. And, uh, it, you know, that's a, that's a tough one, right? But ultimately, what I want to see is the Bears win. I want to see us in the playoffs. I want to see us get another Super Bowl, and uh, that seem, we seem to have some challenges in the way of getting there. Right. Well, let me ask you finally, Senator, have you ever had a hankering to run um, and, and uh, represent Illinois and Washington? It seems like, uh, you know, is, I think there's a lot of Illinoisans who, who think your perspective would be one that they'd like to see uh, represented in D.C., you know, I appreciate that question. Um, I've had that opportunity, I suppose, but really never uh, jumped on it. I, I, my nature is, I mean, first of all, I got some personal issues, right? I've got a young family. I come home every, nearly every night from Springfield. That's a convenience that I have because Bloomington's so close to the state capitol. Uh, but I definitely, from a personal level, I like being home and around my family frequently. Can't do that in Washington. But even more substantively on the on the policies of it, uh, this is the influence uh, Governor Edgar has had on me. When Before I ever ran for office, I, I think every young person who thinks about politics, you think about Washington, D.C., right? Governor Edgar told me, he said, look, if you, if you want to be involved in politics and you're there for the right reason, where you really want to be is state government. I totally agree with that assessment. Our state government has much more of an impact on people's day-to-day -day lives than any other level of government, be it local or federal. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed my service in the state. The involvement on, you know, we talked about some controversial issues and big issues like how our schools are funded and who gets to marry whom. We talk about gun rights and who gets to carry a gun and where all the way to you know the 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 infrastructure of our state uh, i think state government is is where the real opportunity is to have an impact on people's lives and i've i've enjoyed being able to do it there great well thanks so much senator and we would love to uh, coax you down to carbondale sometime actually in the fall we are going to be having a summit for university students called renewing illinois There'll be other opportunities, but we really would love to have you come down and meet with students and people in the community and explain how the state of Illinois works and how state government works and why it's important in their lives. I'd love to be a part of it. And I, you know, uh, also say thank you. I mean, I'm very aware with the work that you guys do through the Institute and uh, you do great work. You're a resource for so many around the state. Glad to be a part of today. And I, I really thank you, John, for all the work that you all do. 
Great. Well, thanks, Senator. We will stay in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Simon Cast, the official podcast of the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at Southern Illinois University. Simon Cast is produced in collaboration with WSIU Public Radio. You can find Simon Cast wherever you listen to podcasts, including NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Please subscribe to new episodes as soon as they're posted and tell your friends about our show. For more information, visit paulsimoninstitute.org. Thank you for listening and thank you for keeping the legacy of Paul Simon alive and well.